You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Maurice O'Keefe. This week's podcast is somewhat different to what you have been listening to. It's coming to you from a very remote part of the world, the Falkland Islands. In 2009, I was commissioned to go there and to carry out research on the few people left living on the islands who could remember life as it was before the conflict in 1982. So my first destination was to go and meet Sir Cosmo Hascard. He was the governor of the Falkland Islands between 1964 and 1970. And in this clip, he describes the unrest between the Argentinians and the Falkland Islanders. It was really after I got back to the Falklands that I began to be really seriously concerned. And I was concerned. Uh, and uh, it, by the, the fact that the the British government seemed to be slipping into a, uh, a position of, of it being inevitable that, the, that they would not uh, take any action to look after the Falklands. Mm -hmm. So uh, what did you do? Well, that, that's when I then eventually, mm -hmm. I thought, well, all these letters and telegrams are having no effect, and I asked if I could go back, uh, which I did. And uh, it so happened, that, again, luck, I'm... I've been so lucky in all these things. Uh, a very nice chap called Summerhays, who was the number two in the in the British Embassy in Buenos Aires, in Argentina, had come down to the Falklands to assess the position, and he stayed with us. And he spent about a week or ten days, I suppose. And uh, he, he, I took passage in HMS Protector from the Falklands up to Montevideo, en route to England. I, obviously, I, I flew from Montevideo to London. Um, but And Summer Hayes was a fellow passenger. And uh, Summer Hayes made a report uh, to his boss, who was the British ambassador in Buenos Aires, Sir Michael Creswell. And uh, uh, at that stage, I hadn't seen... The, the, I didn't. I knew what what mm -hmm. Summer Hayes was likely to say because we discussed it so much. But I, he actually used some phrase in his report that he, he thought the positions between the Great Great Britain and uh, and uh, Argentina over the Falklands were really unbridgeable. Uh, that may not have been the actual word he used, but something like that. 
After I arrived in Stanley, I got acquainted with the archives there and met Jane Cameron. She also gave me an old army jeep to make my way around the rough tracks on the mainland and also access to flights to go from one island to the other. So my first destination was to fly to Port Stephens. It's one of the most westerly parts of the Falkland Islands. And there I met the Robinsons and spoke to Anne and Peter and first asked Peter how long the Robinsons were farming in Port Stephens. Fifth generation. Scotland by New Zealand. Mm. Um, my grandfather came to the islands in 1896 to the agricultural department where he spent uh, 13 years around the agricultural department and then in 1909 the manager here, Henna, uh, was killed uh, here in Stevens so uh, with a horse and um, my grandfather came out here as manager and he was here as managing until about 1936 and then my father took over. Anne pointed out here how concerned she was about receiving provisions to Port Stephens. Uh, it used to come by ferry and now it's all changed. We are at this end of the islands finding it very difficult mm. because uh, where before everything got delivered to our doorstep, now we have to go and fetch it. And since the ferry started, it's even further away than it used to be. So we are we are struggling now. Yeah. Can I take you back again? Sorry, Peter. Can I take you back again to a time? I suppose when uh, when you you came over and uh, you made all these changes, you brought in the motorbike, you brought in the the idea of of women working on the on the land as well. What other changes did you make? Oh, there's quite a few of them, uh, which I notice. They were frowned on at the time, but I noticed most people do it now. Like even landmarking, traditionally it was done the 14th of November. Everyone on the 14th of November farms, they all went away landmarking. I left it until January and I got into hot water from all sorts of people, but I still did it anyway. Uh, the lambs can be all around the sheep at the end of the day. Yeah. The ewes can be, uh, and the wool lambs, they're all mixed up. But the ewe won't be interested in them. She'll go back and look where she lost the lamb. And the lamb's probably there, right beside her. But she's not interested. She's straight, as soon as you let them go, they're straight back to look where they lost the lamb. When I returned to Stanley, I met the McKay family. And I spoke to Claire and Bill. Claire had a very interesting occupation in going around the Falklands on horseback, first uh, as a helper with the teacher, but then turning out to be a teacher herself. Bill, who got no education, they both talked to me here about their experiences. Where did your people, Claire, come What's your maiden name? Just Morrison. Morrison. Mm -hmm. Where did the, Mor <coughs> the Morrisons well, come Well, my father came from the little island of Scalpay when he was 19, donkeys years ago, 103 I think it was. 
<laughs> but my mother was uh, born Falkland Island, the same as Bell's mother. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But the generation before that, uh, both came from Scotland. Uh, yes, the, from... The, the, the men folk did. Yeah. But the women folk were all from here. Well, my great-grandmother was from Ireland. Oh, yes, she's Ireland. Because I don't care for greens. And my granny had everything green in the house. Shamrocks and oh, everything had to be green because she was great on the Irish. <laughs> Whereabouts uh, in Ireland? I don't know where she came. You'll have to talk to our daughter, Rena. She's doing a family tree, so she knows where they all came from. But I haven't a clue where, where they came from in Ireland. Would it be interesting uh, to find out? Yeah. I'll ask Rena. yes, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so there's, yeah. A, there's a bit of Irish blood in you, I, so. I just, <clears throat> oh yes, that's right, yes, bit of Scotch and Irish, I think. It's a good mixture, isn't mm, it? Oh, well, hopefully. <laughs> it's lasted a long time anyway. <laughs> For your, your early days, Bill, did you get much schooling? No. <laughs> oh, I didn't. And cause that I don't know this, this, the old managers they didn't like you to be educated because you wouldn't stay on the farm you would if you was educated you'd be off and away on a boat or something this is the tale I've always been told so I travelled round on my horse with the teacher from one farm to another and they used to do a month in each settlement and two weeks in each outside house each shepherd's house with the children. So I'd be six months away from my home without, we, without ever seeing parents. I started at nine years old and until I was 16, traveling with the teacher. You couldn't get education otherwise. And then I went to uh, travel and teacher myself and traveled from farm to farm. But when you were, when you were terribly young uh, and you were going around with the teacher, were, were there other children going with you? Some of them, yes, there were some of them. Oh, and you don't <coughs> travel off? Yes, yeah, some of them. Yeah. We all had to go on a horse. <coughs> and uh, if the teacher stayed like at my parents' house, then my father had to see him to his next port of call, as it were. Yeah. Uh, but if he stayed at another house, then that dad had to take him to his next place. And he'd show him how to get to the next place? Well, right? yes. There was, uh, you know, there were some children didn't go every time and some went every time. And mm. My next destination was to fly to Sanders Island. It's a remote island off the west side of the Falkland Islands. And there I met Tony Paul Evans, a remarkable man, with an incredible story. What numbers in sheep? Was there a big lot of 7,000 when I came here. We did go up a bit more, up to 80,000 a while ago there, but we had to cut back again, down to 7,000 mark again now. And uh, the, the workforce to manage that, how many people uh, were here? Oh, I usually had about five or six people working for me. And did they come with their families, or, did, or were they on their own? Yeah, most of them had family. They had one single fellow who used to come here, and one family lived up here, another one, or two families used to live up in this house, and one down in the stone house. And, and they were, they'd stay with you for a long time, did they? Or? Oh, no, they didn't stay long, they shifted around. Different families yeah. came and left. 
and in in and and that was in the forties, was it fifties? Yeah. yeah. And to to come out here, I mean, I came out in a plane, but uh, how would people by boat or no or, by or, boat? Yeah. Yeah. And the so for a long time you wouldn't see anybody other than the people living here. No, no, see them, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's all these time people used to come on. Oh, the first couple of years there, didn't have a motorboat. You had to, had to roll across the other point and pick them up there and uh, had a motorboat after that. I guess quite a few people come to see us. Right. And, and of course, the, the, the main interest really was, was uh, in, in wool. So uh, shearing was a big part of all of that, yeah, wasn't it? That's yeah. why we kept so many people. Yeah, to do the shearing, no contract shearers in them days. Mm. When I came here, there was no running water, no electricity. How did you manage? I mean, uh, where was the well on the island? Well, that was a problem. <laughs> that would run out, and then you used to have to go way over the hill here, or way over that way there, about a quarter of a mile, and carry water in buckets. The arm's got to be tired by the time you got back to the house. <laughs> and and how many acres did you plough, do you mind me asking? Hmm? How many acres did you plough? Oh, I don't know, remember? I never imagined them. Was about, <laughs> but quite a distance. Might have been about a mile long, about a quarter of a mile wide, something like that. Did you? My goodness, yeah. So I was you, there doing it for six weeks. Where are you? Swim the horses onto the island there. They had the tussock border on, you used to put them in the tussock overnight there. And yeah. Get them in, put the harness on, into the plough, and away you go. <laughs> what was the name of the island again? River Island. But it's Way down here to the west, east of us. And. You, how, how far did you have to swim the horses about? We were about a mile across there. Port Purvis across the river island, about a mile where we swim them. Did you do all this work on your own? Hmm? Did you do it on your own? No, I had a mate. The two of you headed off? Yeah. yeah. When I left Tony Paul Evans and Sanders Island, I travelled back to the mainland and to a place called Hill Cove, where I met Tony and Dean Anderson. And looking out your window here, you, you're right into the... Uh, you're on the edge of the sea, oh, yes. right, right on the edge of the cliff, really. Yeah. So, um, would that weather have played a big part in your lives? You know, the, the, the sea gales, the weather? Did, did. <laughs> it always does, whichever way the wind is. Mm. You know... Um, the only good thing about this house is always one end that's really warm. If it's blowing a gale and freezing from that end, we're always warm up here. But this morning and last night, this kitchen was freezing, wasn't it? And I asked Rye, when did the Andersons first come to the Falkland Islands? As far as I know, my grandfather jumped ship. <laughs> he was a Dane, I think. He was. Um... Well, Chico pulls our leg and says that he they chucked him off the ship. <laughs> <laughs> and his name was Charlie, wasn't it? Uh, 
Charlie Hanson. Yeah. We spent a long time here in Hill Cove. In September 54 and come in a month later. Yeah. So living here for that length of time, uh, it, it's very permanent then, you know. Oh it, yes, it is, uh, that's, that's what's happened around here, you see. Most of the people that were here have been here all their lives. Hill Cove yeah. is just a good place to work. And so working for uh, a big estate, because it was how many acres? 144,000, I mm -hmm. think, somewhere mm -hmm. like that. And we used to run 33,000 sheep. Mm. And when we came here, Bill Blake was manager, wasn't he? Yeah. Mr. Harding had retired by then. So this was quite a big settlement here oh, in Oh, yes, there'd be... How many? 30, 40 uh, people? Yeah, it must have been. We used to have 12 or 14 single people, single lads in the cookies. The telephone system again, you, you, were, you were just showing me outside. Yes. Uh, can you explain to me how, how it worked? Well... Every house had a ring, a separate ring. Now, our house would be what? What was our ring? Two shorts and a long. Yeah. Main Point had five long rings. Shallow Bay had four long rings. And in the, Tim and Sally's house was a long and a short. And, and, and because a lot of the rings were the same, that's why you had your switchboards. Because, if I, as I said, if someone rang me to say, put me through to Fox Bay... I would then put the switch over to the main line and ring my Aunt Lottie, who lived at Goring House, who would then fill with her switches and ring Fox Bay, then connect it up and put it through. And then I'd put the switch back and tell people they were connected through. Is, is there anything you would change if you, if you had your life all over again? No, I don't think so. No. W would you live the same kind of life again? Yes, I would, yeah. Because I'm, I'm glad I had all these different things happening because horse riding's gone for good now, more or less that way of life and the way we used to be. And then after that came the... I think the motorbikes came next, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and then the rovers and... It's all, it's all changed. The only thing I would like to see, less vehicles around, they're so messy. <laughs> <laughs> I left Hill Cove and the Hansons and returned again to Stanley. And there I met, to my surprise, somebody who had Kerry connections. Riley Short, it's lovely to sit down here in your house and talk to you. Riley, Riley is actually a surname. Uh, can you explain that? Yes, well, the, uh, that why I'm called Riley is because uh, one of my great grandchildren's who came from Ireland, was William Riley. What part? Kerry. I think it, was, I think it was from, must have been from Kerry because that's, as far as I know, from my mother. Yeah. That was on my mother's side. And uh, he was uh, a Marine that came here. I think they came here in about 1850 or something like that. And uh, he married... He 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 uh, he was married to uh, a Danish woman, so I'm I'm half I'm part Irish and part Danish, <laughs> you know. It comes down to it that uh, on my mother's side, and I'm not sure whether he went back to Ireland or not, because uh, 
there doesn't seem to be any more of the family around apart from my my grandmother mm-hmm. and one or two of her brothers. So he may have died here, or he may have went back to mm-hmm. back to uh, to Ireland. Uh, Ireland. I'm not sure about that. And Rye goes on to talk about what he did for many years of his life. I really started off as a sailor on the ships when I was a boy. I joined the sailing company. We were, we were killing seals, and uh, that was in 1950, 51. And uh, I really started off on that. And that was at Albemarle, a place called Albemarle, and we were uh, used to go around the islands and gather up all the seal and shoot them and take them off onto the another boat, a, uh, a sealing boat, and take it to the uh, sealing station where they take them ashore and render them down for oil. Where was the station? Albemarle. Oh, yes, yeah. Albemarle. And uh, the, that kind of work, uh, what, what, what exactly were you doing? I was ashore. I, I was... Just, Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I was ashore on the, uh, I was on on the ship, so I went killing the seal and and gutting them and whatever you have to do on the to take the sh- the uh, seals back off to the boat, but you used to take the guts out of them and uh, just put them onto a big long rope which we call the yawl, and then floated them off to the ship mm. and it, I'm just imagining the stench and uh, oh the yes that was it, it was hard. that was hard work that yeah. was hard work my next destination was to go to Goose Green to meet the Lee family and there I met John Lee and he spoke to me about being on the island ship that serviced the islands now that was the same ship that was built in Baltimore, in Ireland, and sailed down there in 1929 and serviced the islands for over 70 years. And it had recently been brought back and rebuilt again and remains now here in Ireland. It's lovely being out here in Goose Green and uh, talking to the Lee family, talking to, to John and Elizabeth. And and I must say... Um, to come out here on on a, on a summer's day with snow falling, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's a bit different, isn't it? But um, so, John, can can you tell me um, how long you've been here? Have you been here always? In, oh, in, well, I, in Goose Green? No, no, no. I've been well around. I've travelled a bit. I've been on the sea for a few years. On the uh, island, you know her. Mm. Oh yes. Yeah. Were you? I travelled a good few miles on her. She used to be the cutter at Speedwell. So from day one you loved the sea? Yeah. And when you were on the boat, were you... What were you doing? I mean... Going what, what from were... island to island. We had a lot of islands to look after. We used to go around all them. Did you? Yeah. Shearing and pressing and whatnot, dipping. Who was, who was skipper on that boat when you were a young lad? Sandy Bonner. And how many other lads working on that boat? Three or four. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find that tough work or hard work? It was hard work. I bet you, yeah. 
Yes, your word. My final destination was to meet Winnie Luxton. She lived in Stanley and spoke here about the communications with the islanders and the responsibility her husband had as the postmaster. The, the boat that delivered the, uh, that serviced the islands, that was another um, extension, wasn't it? To yes, the, the... yes, that's right. Uh, the, um, I suppose the, the mail to the west was very restricted until we got the plane, and then it was dropped, wasn't it? Um, but, uh, of course, people, uh, if they were riding in from the camp, East Falklands, they would take people's mail as they knew they had to pass by, so that... Oh, yes, one would help out yes, the other. Yes, yes, oh, yes, yes. Oh, yes, and really, I know in many ways we didn't have... Lots of things that people expect these days, but I do think perhaps we were a great deal happier. Mm. Everybody looking after one another instead of just yourself, as it does tend to be in the world of today. I'm all right, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> um, having uh, the... Your, you know, I, I'm just thinking Henry's job as, as, as postmaster... And, and responsibilities and making sure that all the letters would, would, would uh, get there. It must have been full-time very difficult. Was there pressure in that job, do you think? Uh, well, yes. And as uh, after we started the Philatelic, um, he used to uh, work lots of evenings. The radio meant a lot to people out in camp, Oh, yes. Well, it, it did to us as well, because um, the evenings were... You looked forward to the to it coming on, because it wasn't on all day and all night like it is now. Mm. Um, it it was, gave you, um, you... You were very keen to to get it and, and, you know, listen properly and get all the news and... Uh, where there would be uh, music evenings and and uh, serials and uh, uh, first science fiction things came on on there we used to all and the archers which we don't get now. You've been listening to the voices of the Falkland Island people living in remote islands on the Falklands, and this project had been carried out in two thousand and nine. And it reminded me a little bit of Ireland in the 1950s and 60s. It was indeed a unique project, some, uh, something I will never forget. I'm Morris O'Keefe, and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.